Well, good morning, Overlake. It's wonderful to be with you today. Go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the Overlake team, and it's an honor to be with you today. If this is your first time, you're just checking this whole thing out, you need to know we really do come together. We want to uh, just lift up the name of God. We want to praise Him, and we want to open His Word and see what it is that He has to say to us today. So if you want to grab your notes out of your handout, you'll see we're jumping into a series called Crazy Love. Today we're talking about friendships. And I just want to begin, you know, with a question. Are friendships important? What do you, yeah, exactly. Uh, friendships are important. You think, okay, uh, is this a weighty topic? Does this have merit to go after in my own life? Is, is it appropriate to evaluate friendship? And, and I would simply say, well, even t- take the Bible aside for a moment. What has our society concluded? Do you know it, it, the worst possible um, punishment you can receive, right? If you, if you happen to be one of those fir- persons who's in our penal system and you're just the baddest of the bad, what is it that they will do to you? They'll put you in solitary confinement. That that is determined just by society in general. That is the worst punishment you can receive. And, and now we have all these studies that have come in that talk about what kind of physical results put in, being put in solitary confinement produces. So uh, just read a few. You'll see how fun these are. Uh, Mental illnesses such as depression, permanent or semi-permanent changes to brain physiology, existential crises, and potentially death all occur not because we would withdraw food or water from someone, but just by placing them in solitary confinement. That's powerful, is it not? But then look, the positive uh, on the other side of this spectrum is that Friendships, good, healthy friendships, actually build into us. They, they build us up. They, they buoy our spirits and, now we're determining, even our bodies as well. So there are physio- physiological changes to good relationships. Friends, incidentally, help us ward off depression, boost our immune system, lower our cholesterol, increase the odds of surviving coronary disease, and help keep our hormones in check. So I just want to tell you, I'm excited for our teenagers to have really good friendships, right? Because we want to make sure that all of these good benefits happen because of of friendships. Now, let me ask you the question. If we know that being confined in solitary confinement, right, preventing ourselves from having good friendships produces negative effects and having good friendships produces all sorts of positive effects, don't you think that this is something that we can go after? Right? This is something that God actually says, hey, I want my people to have good and healthy friendships. So let's start with these verses from Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9, 10, and 12. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man, it sounds like Mr. T, doesn't it? Pity the fool. Uh, pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Just uh, about a week and a half ago, I experienced the power of these verses. I happened to be in the gym. Uh, I know you look at me and think, really, Mike? Uh, just, you know, No, I do go to the gym. I like to do a few things at the gym. I like to um, walk around. I like to sip water and towel my forehead off. So I was doing those three exercises at the gym. 
And, uh, and I was noticing that there was a guy, and he was a big guy, he was pretty buff. He was doing bench press all by himself. And I just, you know, I, I stopped my workout, <laughs> you know, to watch him. And I, I looked over, and, and so he, he started, and he pumped the weight a few times, and he put it back on the rack. Well, then he added 50 pounds. And he took it off again, and he pumped it a few more times. I could see he was having a little bit of trouble. He put it on the rack. He added 50 more pounds. No spotter anywhere near. And then he starts going after it again. And about his second rep, his wrist rolled like this. And the bar snapped down and landed on his chest. And so I rushed over. You know, I put my towel down. I made sure my sippy cup wouldn't spill. And I ran over to him and I started to try to deadlift that weight off. Now, it was a lot of weight. And I know that, and I also know that my workout regimen of walking around and sipping water and tiling my forehead off prepared me not at all for, for, I needed a spotter to help deadlift this weight off of him, the weight that he should have had a spotter for in the first place. All I want you to understand is that it is true what the scriptures say, we are better together. That there is power in friendships and it makes us stronger and more courageous and more able to tackle the circumstances of our day. And, and God has wired us to be social, not to live our lives in isolation, but to live in relationship with one another, to live life with a spotter. Because one day you will face a crisis. One day this will come, if it's not already come in your life, and you'll find yourself facing unemployment. You'll find yourself in financial crisis. A dear friend, a loved one, a son, a daughter, mother, father will go through some kind of crisis of health or maybe even death, and you'll lose that loved one. And in those circumstances, we need people around us who love us and who build into us, who care for us, and will help us carry the weight that we are carrying. And I found this quote from 17th century philosopher Francis Bacon. He noted two tremendously positive effects of friendship. He says, it redoubleth joys and cutteth griefs in half. What he's saying is that friendships are powerful eth. I love bacon, by the way. It's delicious. Uh, you guys are hard. You know, let me just tell you one effect. Friends laugh at friends' jokes. Okay, I'm just telling you. So, all right. So I, what I want to do is I want to do something a little different in this series. We're going to do every week, we're going to have a poll. And so today I want you to grab your phones out of your pockets. I would, I would tell you to turn them on, but I know they're already on. Um, grab your phone, your cell phone, and then go ahead and respond to this poll. You'll notice that we've got, uh, all you have to do is do the address is 22333, and then you text in a keyword, and, and you can see the keywords here. The question is, how do you prefer to connect with your friends? Is it by email, in person, on Facebook, by phone, or by fax? Now, that was obviously a joke answer. It was for my friends who were stuck in the 80s, and you'll see them around, right? They're the ones with their pager clipped into their zipper pants. And so, you know, if that's you, you like to connect with friends by fax, go ahead. But we'll take a few moments and you can go ahead, answer this question, text it in. Now the service before you, I want to tell you, it's an older crowd and they still had hundreds and hundreds of responses. So I know 11 o'clock, you guys can do this thing, okay? So go ahead and text in how you prefer to connect with your friends. We'll, We'll take a look at the results in a few moments. I want you to understand that all of us, in fact, all of society is really, really similar on this issue of friendships, that everyone desires certain qualities 
in their friendships. They want them to be fun and uplifting. They want them to be safe and challenging. They want them to be honest and deep. But maybe not all of those qualities in all of their friendships. So I think it's okay for us to recognize that there are different um, levels of quality. There are different qualitative characteristics about our friendships. And yet all of them are modeled in scripture. All of them can be special. They can all be a blessing and all be celebrated in their own right. So if you're filling in the blanks, the first one we want to talk about are friends of the hour. Friends of the hour. And how we're going to do this is, is instead of a circle of friends, I know you probably heard that phrase, circle of friends. Really, all of our relationships are built more on a triangle, a relationship triangle. And at the base of that triangle is the broadest swath of our relationships in our lives. And so these are friends that we're calling friends of the hour. What that means is that somehow life circumstance has placed you next to another person. Maybe your parents standing on the sidelines cheering your kids on on their soccer game or football game. Maybe you find yourself on the same committee or on the same work group or you find yourself sitting next to one another in church together. These are all circumstantially uh, opportunities for what I would call friends of the hour. Uh, Many of you are on Facebook. And so I would say that the number of friends you have on Facebook, chances are good that most of these friends are friends of the hour. They're connected to you. There's this genial bandwidth, and it's broader than ever before, but, but they're, they're, they're friends of the hour. Now, I want to tell you, I'm on Facebook, and I would love to friend you. If you've not friended me yet, please, I would love to be your friend on Facebook. But understand that there is a danger of Facebook friends. Here's, a, uh, here's Jesus, and he's saying, no, I'm not talking about Twitter. I literally want you to follow me, all right? And of course, when Jesus delivers the joke, his timing is perfect, as everything else. So uh, just understand that Twitter and Facebook, these are tools, and they can be very positive when they help you stay connected to friends that you might not interact with uh, otherwise, maybe friends from high school, friends from college, friends out of state. It is a good way to stay relationally connected. But again, we're talking about what I would call this lower uh, tier at the base of the triangle. The most of our relationships are here. And in this area, I would say it just starts with a general politeness. If you are a Christ follower today, then, then this is what all of us strive to do. You walk into a coffee shop, a classroom, your workplace, your neighborhood, you, you know, wherever it is that you find yourself in a social setting and you're ready to become friends with anybody. Right? It's just an openness that you have. And certainly Jesus models this. He went from town to town. He, as, as he lived his ministry, every time he went into a new location, he modeled this for us. He looked people in the eye. He spoke directly to their needs. They were valuable to him. And so Jesus is the one who sets this up and models it perfectly. I want to begin by reading a passage of scripture. Um, it's about Zacchaeus. And some of you already know the story of Zacchaeus. If you grew up going to Sunday school, there's actually a song about Zacchaeus. If you know that song, you know that Zacchaeus was a a wee little man. That's right. He was an Irish Hebrew, I imagine. And so 
This is the story of Jesus walking into Jericho and he encounters Zacchaeus in Luke 19, verse 1 and following. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy, so he was not well-liked. He did not have friendships down. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now we're going to take a look at some of the things that Jesus did in this passage. The first, if you're filling in the blanks, is that uh, our challenge is to take the initiative just like Jesus did. That we're the ones who take a proactive stance to the possibility of friendship. If you are alive, if you're breathing, you and I can do this. You simply notice a person, you take a breath, and you step into that possibility that there's a friendship here. And when I say notice a person, the challenge is you would notice something about them. Notice uh, something and then make a comment on it or try to draw a connection there. And it could be something external, something silly. It could be, you know, you you notice the cell phone style that they have is the same as yours. Or uh, notice uh, the clothing preference. Or notice they like a a sports team that you enjoy. It It could be any of those things. But you're just looking for an opportunity to make a connection. What Jesus noticed was that here was a man whose dissatisfaction with his own life had caused him to climb a tree and to be in this kind of precarious social situation. The next thing we see is the challenge to remember a name. That there's incredible value in knowing a name. That the idea of reaching out your hand, introducing yourself. Hi, I'm Mike. What's your name? That there's such a, a value there. Remembering that name. It, you communicate care in that context. So Jesus, he, he engages Zacchaeus by calling out his name. Hey, Zacchaeus, right? There's power there. He didn't just say, hey, you... You know, hey, shorty, short, short, you know, uh, hey, tiny tax tot, you know, uh, it's not good for men in robes to climb trees. Uh, He didn't go any of those places. He just called him by name. And so there's value there. And it was the start of something transformative. The next villain is the challenge to step out in kindness, step out in kindness This is a step out, a step forward, a conversation, a contact. It's taking that initial connection one step further. It's actually inviting somebody out to coffee. It's it's inviting a family over for a barbecue. It's that that idea that, that you want to see this thing flourish. Whatever it is that God might have for this friendship, you want to you want to be proactive and you're gonna take a risk here. Now, Jesus invited himself over for dinner. So I don't know, you know, if that would work in your context. Hey, I noticed you have a hot tub. I'm coming over. Um, I don't know if that would work so much, but there is a challenge to step out in kindness. And at Overlake, friends, we want to weekly have an opportunity to do all these things. Because we recognize there are friends of the hour that are sitting around all of us every single time we come into this house. And so every week we have an opportunity to greet one another and to remember a name and to take a step of kindness. So I want to invite Pastor Josh to come up and to walk us through our weekly time of welcome. So Joshy, come on up. Lead us. All right. All right. 
Well, uh, officially, welcome to Overlake. Uh, there's, as always, at this point, just a few things that we like to point out. You received a handout when you came in, and in that handout is this connection card. On the back are some action steps that you can be listening for a little later in the service. We're going to be referring to those. And then on the front, if you are an Overlake member or you show up here regularly, you know to just throw name, email, any updated information. Along with any prayer requests uh, that, that you'd like to, to share with us, we'd, we'd love to have you fill that, out, that part out. Now, if you're a guest with us, we want you to know that we're really stoked you're here. And we'd love for you to also uh, go ahead and fill out the card. But instead of dropping it in the offering when it comes by later, hold on to it because what we'd like for you to do is is take it out and stop by the info desk out there as you're leaving. And we want to put a free gift in your hands, just a way of saying thanks for checking this place out today. All right, so as Pastor Mike is sharing uh, uh, this morning about the way that God has wired us for friendship, um, we, uh, well, you need to know, we all need to know that this moment, right now, right here in the next 30 seconds, we have a real opportunity uh, to do this. Why don't you stand up? We have a real opportunity right now to strike a match that could potentially ignite a friendship. And so we, we love for you to, to have that perspective every week when we have this opportunity to connect with each other. Because people, it's true, friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them. So go for it. best friends that anybody could have we're the three best friends that anyone could have we're gonna do things all the time together just because we're not on a bachelor party doesn't mean that we can't hang out we're the three best friends that anyone could have we're the three best friends that anyone can have and we're always gonna that was random All right, Uh, here's what I want to do. I want to jump back into this by saying that no matter where your friendships are, that there are actually three keys that will help us maximize those opportunities. So I'm going to bank through these next three fill-ins really quickly. These are the keys that will allow us to maximize our friendships. The first is good listening. That if you are a good listener, you are going to communicate care and value to the other person. And this is a beautiful gift to give. Okay? It will show you value the other person. It will show you value the friendship. The next fill-in is good question asking. So not only are you a listener, but you're actually proactively engaged in drawing out the other person. That you want to ask the follow-up question. That you want to probe a little bit deeper, right? Not uncomfortably deep uh, in many of our conversations. But just you're actually listening. Your, your, your stance is proactive. And you want to ask the next question. You want to take it uh, to the next place, right? Uh, of drawing out that truth. The third is good self-disclosure. And this is essential because if you're just the listener, if you're just the question asker, but you never share... You are going to thwart, you're going to put a lid on how good your friendships can be. 
And so the challenge is that we would recognize these three tools, no matter what level of friendship we're talking about, they will be great tools to take that to the next level. Certainly, these three are going to be instrumental in transitioning a friendship of the hour to the next level, which is a friend of the road. Okay, that's the next fill-in, a friend of the road. And Jesus models this kind of relationship with his 12 disciples. Now, these are guys that he invests his life into 24-7. They are a band on nonstop tour for three years. And Jesus invests in them. And he understands things about them. And just have that many guys together for that long. They learn things about themselves that they never really cared to know. Like how Peter laughs through his nose. Or how Andrew snores. Or how John's stomach gets upset every time he eats beans. Not unlike this John right here. John Stearns. Do we have him? Yeah. John Candy, John McEnroe. Fart joke? No? Okay. All right. The idea of friendships on the road, it means that we're actually traveling together. We're, we're covering miles together in this lifetime. And, and, and when I think about this, my buddy Barry comes to mind. Barry was a friend. He and I were in high school together. We played football together. Barry taught me how to surf. Uh, We actually ended up traveling through Central America together on a surf trip. I wrote about him in a book called Miles to Cross. there's, There's a lot of miles logged with my buddy Barry. And we had great philosophical discussion, deep discussion, really enjoyed one another's company. And it just was really cool. Friend of the road, right? We were on the road for a long time together. But then after college and after our last road trip, he ended up moving out of state and started a family and started a career. And I did the same thing. And and so I haven't seen Barry face to face in 15 years. And we do stay connected. We're buddies on Facebook now. You might hear that story and you might think, well, Mike, that sounds like a failed friendship. And I think I would disagree. Because it's not that it failed, it's simply that it served its purpose. It was so good and rich and powerful for the season, for the section of road that we traveled. That was a great and a glorious friendship. And author Les Parrott says it this way. He says, like cowboys who ride the herd together for miles, sharing both dusty perils and round the campfire coffee, we all have friendships that come to their natural end. Not because of the discontent or lack of interest, simply because the road has run out. We've hit the end of the trail together, and it's time to move on to other things, other companies of men. So I imagine that as you look at your life, you can see that you have friends of the road, that you've had those friendships, and that you're currently in some of those friendships. And there is much to be celebrated there. So I want to give you a few steps on how to make the most out of your friends of the road. The first, uh, your friendships rather, the first is to build one another up here. That you would draw the best out uh, of the other person. You would see something in them that they may not see themselves. And, and these are the investments that would transform a friend of the hour into the, uh, a friend of the road. Certainly we see Jesus modeling this in his relationships. He takes Peter. And Peter is a guy who, you know, he's kind of impulsive and he's all over the place. And maybe he wrestled with ADD. I don't know. It seems to indicate that he was just kind of scattered in his thinking. And and yet he had such a heart that was filled with love for Jesus. And so Jesus tells Peter, he says, I'm going to build my church upon you. 
It's on your shoulders that we're going to build this new movement. And, and, and he says this in Matthew 16, 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. That's powerful. Jesus is the one who draws this, who sees this in Peter and draws it out of him. You know, Peter's name, Peter, Petros, it means the rock. And so Jesus is literally saying, I'm going to build a a, a church on the foundation, this rock it's going to be built on. You know, the name that Simon was given, or Peter was given, was Simon. And it doesn't mean the rock. And, and so Petros, this idea of Peter, it means the rock. But we don't have any indication that Peter felt like a rock. He might have felt like a pebble. But what Jesus did is he spoke this courage into him. And he built him up in this way. I'm going to build the church on you. And some of you who know this story in Acts chapter 2. You know that Peter was the first person to preach a message of Christ's resurrection. And on that day when Peter preached this message, 3,000 people heard that and believed in Jesus Christ. And the church was born on this foundation of Peter. Jesus prophetically spoke into Peter's life what would come to be. Now, you and I, we cannot see into the future, but often we can see things about our friends that they cannot see themselves. So if you see it, speak it. That's encouragement. That's what pouring courage in means. In fact, here's a general rule of thumb. If it's positive and you think it about another person, say it. Go ahead and communicate that to them. Don't dismiss it. Don't think, you know what, they've heard that compliment before. Or they get that all the time. Or you know what, if I just say that, they'll get a big head. No, no, no. The rule is, if it's positive and you think it about someone else, say it. Okay, And I would encourage you to take this even one step further. Don't just build up a person to their face. I'm giving you permission to talk good about people behind their back. This is called good gossip. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this. I don't know if this has ever happened to you where you end up meeting somebody and you're like, I I think I know your name. Wait a second. Oh, I know you. Howerton's always talking about you. He's always saying good things about you. Howerton loves you. Man, it's it's an honor to meet you. You know, when you hear something like that, it feels so good to know that somebody not only cares about you face to face, but even behind your back, they're talking you up. They're saying good things. So this is an idea that you would build somebody up, that you would truly encourage another person and and make that road relationship rich. The next fill-in is that you would bring honesty to the table. A friend at this level is not afraid to be honest. They're not afraid to speak the truth. They're not put off by the occasional confrontation. And we just took a look at Matthew 16, where Jesus builds Peter up in such a phenomenal way. Now I want you to take a look at, immediately after that conversation, we see Jesus confronting Peter. It says this in Matthew 16, verse 21 through 23. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, which is on my list of the worst things you ever want Jesus to say to you, okay? (laughs) Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Now, what's going on here is that 
Jesus was tempted by Satan. And he was tempted by Satan to not walk the hard road. And to not go to Jerusalem and to not be crucified so that the sins of the world could be forgiven. That was Satan's temptation of Jesus. Satan was saying, there's a better way. You don't have to die. And what does Peter say here? Same thing. He's saying the words of Satan. No, no, Lord, we'll never let this happen to you. You don't have to walk this hard road. And so Jesus was appropriately confronting him. These are the words of Satan. I'm going to put them behind me. I'm not going to listen to these words. See, Jesus was able to confront Peter. He built him up, but he wasn't afraid to allow honesty into that relationship. And I would tell you that friends shape friends. The Bible says that as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And I have become a better person and a better parent, a better husband, a a better friend, because I have learned to invite a little of this confrontation into my life. And to those friends that I have that are dear and that are walking a road with me, from time to time said, hey, make sure you speak the truth to me. Make sure if you ever feel like I'm, I'm doing something that's belittling or I'm not listening well or I'm just kind of running kind of rough leadership over stuff, make sure you speak truth into my life, right? And I would invite you to have that same conversation, that you might have your friends that you're with, you know, weekly or, or daily, and you might say to them, hey, I want to give you permission That if you see me doing things, saying things, even thinking a certain way that's selfish or that's not honoring, please call it out. These these are hard conversations to have, right? To actually confront friends. But it is okay. It's even good to say things to our friends like, you know, I need to talk to you about your actions. Or I feel like when you do this, it makes me feel like this. Or I care about you and our friendship way too much. Not to say something in this context. See, what happens is we typically, we fail to confront because we're a little bit afraid to do that. And then we end up holding a grudge against our friend when they don't change. So That's ironic. That doesn't make any sense. Now, Jesus outlines a better way for us to go in Matthew chapter 18. He actually lays out a blueprint for healthy and honest confrontation. But I have uh, noticed that in my experience, for friendships to grow, they typically must go through a little bit of fire. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 27, verse 6, wounds from a friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Right now, some college guys looking at this verse and going, well, how cute is the enemy? I mean, if she's really cute, maybe it's a wash. All I want to say is, is that from Pastor Mike, from the Bible, you want honesty in your friendships. And the next fill-in here is that the challenge is to be ready to self-disclose. To self-disclose. That might feel tricky. That might feel vulnerable. And I just want to say to you, listen, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. And so you don't need to pretend to be. When you pretend to be perfect and you fail to self-disclose, all you're doing is really alienating the people around you. It's ironic because the temptation is we think to ourselves, well, if I share my weaknesses, it's going to push people away. And the the opposite is true. That when we share our weaknesses, we actually draw people to ourselves because they know their brokenness as well. And when we share ours, they're drawn to it. Psychologists actually call this disclosure reciprocity effect. That the, the, the more we disclose in safe and appropriate measures, the more it draws others to ourselves. I want to give you an example from Scripture. This is about David and Jonathan. 
And it's going to be the last time that they see each other in this lifetime uh, that they're living. And, and so there is an incredible amount of emotion around their goodbye. I just want you to see the scene here. It's in 1 Samuel 20, verse 41. As soon as the boy was gone, David came out from where he had been hiding near the stone pile. Then David bowed to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. What I want you to see is that these are two of the most manly men that we would ever hope to meet. David was the warrior poet of Israel. I mean, David was fierce on the battlefield. Jonathan as well. And, and yet, in their friendship, they're not afraid to open up. They're not afraid to, to, to disclose how they're feeling. I mean, this is a heartfelt, a tearful goodbye. And it will last until they meet one another in eternity. And so, uh, you just have to understand that this is a, that, that risk that we would say, you know what, this is me. I'm not perfect and I don't have it all together, but here I am. And a, and a friend, a true friend, will receive that. And they'll say, uh, here I am as well. And that disclosure will draw. That vulnerability won't be met with rejection, but with reciprocity. So, it's a beautiful thing. Now, I will tell you, friendships can't be forced. There's no shortcut in this model, right? It simply requires investment. There's, it's not like a mail-order bride. There's no drive-through window, right? You, we have to be willing to invest in our friendships. The second thing that I want you to see is it's like trying to fall asleep. You realize you cannot make yourself fall asleep. The more you try to make yourself fall asleep, you fail. Right? Those of you who wrestle with insomnia, you know this. All you can do is provide the right setting. Right? And so you, you lie down on a, a comfortable surface and you get the temperature right and you turn the lights down and you listen to my messages online and pretty soon you're out. Okay? <laughs> Friendships are the same way. We, we, we can go after the context, right? And, and we just know that there's something inherently human about desiring to be known and seen and loved. And one of the most powerful ways that we journey in this idea of friendships on the road at Overlake is the Avenue of Life Groups. Avenue of Life Groups. It is the method that we go after as a church for how to develop these friendships of the road as we walk our spiritual journey together. And so if you're not in a life group, I really want to encourage you to invest the time and the energy to jump in and, and join a life group. We've got a few starting this week. That information's in your handout. You'll notice the next step a little bit later on has to do with life groups. But I really want to encourage you that you would say, you know what? It is the time for me to invest in friends of the road, my spiritual road. Now, I want to tell you, uh, this verse isn't on your outline. It's not on the screen. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, he says... We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. Listen to that for a moment. Paul's saying, we loved you so much that there was such rich friendship between us that we were delighted to share. That we, were, we shared, we received from you. There was good give and take in our relationship. We shared with you not only the gospel. See, the gospel is so important to share. The good news found in Jesus Christ. That's where we encourage one another in our faith. It's so important. But he said, we share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. That we were investing in your life. You were investing in our life. And it was a beautiful thing. That's what Life Groups seeks to go after. So I really would encourage you to jump in and join one. The last level of friendship 
is what we call friends of the heart. And we see this, again, modeled in Scripture. It's modeled by Jesus and his disciples. But we recognize, as we take a look through the Gospels, that, that Jesus seems to have a couple of disciples that he invests in and loves the most. Okay? This is that pinnacle of the triangle, the pinnacle of that friendship pyramid. And if you have two, three, five friends, maybe, in the whole course of your life that are at this level, friends of the heart, You are among the most blessed individuals on the planet. So Jesus had Peter, and he had James, and he had John. And it seems like he invested in them, and there was just this beautiful friendship between them. And in fact, John himself, right, was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Isn't that a beautiful title? I mean, that's such a warm title, such an intimate title. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, John gave himself that title. But I believe, right, right, you got to believe the scripture that, that, yeah, okay, there was this connection between them. And there are a couple of glimpses that we get that, 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 that it's absolutely right, that John was absolutely knit in his heart to Jesus, and that Jesus, likewise, was knit to John. We see this in John 13, 23, for example, it says, now there was, leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, talking about John, whom Jesus loved. This is at the Last Supper. And, and this is the night when Jesus is betrayed. This is the night they're all having a meal together. And in this time, the culture was that the tables would be low to the ground. There'd be pillows kind of all around the ground. And, and they would be kind of, you know, reclining on an elbow and, and eating the food together. And in that context, it would not be uncommon for dear friends to just lean back against one another. And here's John leaning back against, you know, the chest of Jesus. Just a picture of friendship, of intimacy. Now, what I want you to understand is the context for a moment. Just a few days before this, everybody was friends with Jesus. The entire town of Jerusalem had come out of the city. And as Jesus entered in the city, everyone was cheering his name. Everyone was saying Hosanna. Everyone was laying down their coat and waving palm branches. And they were all going nuts. Everybody was friends with Jesus. He would have won any popularity contest on that day. More Facebook friends than any of us, right? And here we are at the Last Supper. And pretty soon what's going to happen is Judas is going to be off betraying Jesus. And Peter's going to be out denying Jesus. And the rest of the apostles, they're going to be running for their lives. And at the cross, you see John. Just John. There's John, the one whom Jesus loved. There's John standing there, and his heart's breaking wide open as he sees Jesus nailed to that rough wooden cross, but he can't leave. It's a friend of the heart. And that's why Jesus says to John, John, you see, my mom, would you take care of her as a son? Hey, mom. You see, John, receive him as your son. And that is a special friendship there. And that is a a friend of the heart. And there are a few things about this level of friendship that that I want to highlight. The first is that friends of the heart are loyal. Friends of the heart are loyal. And you recognize this commitment, this deep commitment to one another. As we care for one another, we commit to one another. On Twitter this week, I asked just the question, what are some of the things that you see 
about great friendships. Almost every answer I got back had to do with this level of loyalty. The responses I got were um, consistency, a friend never gives up on you, a friend uh, stands by you when times get tough, a friend chooses to love you when you're unlovable. See, all these things have to do with loyalty. And we see that God is a friend to us. That even now, Jesus says to you and to me, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. He understands this element of loyalty and deep friendship. But you recognize good friends keep their promises, do they not? Good friends don't tell your secrets to other people. Good friends don't desert you when times get tough. Loyal friends are there to lend a hand when you're in need, but they're also there to cheer you on in your success. They're not going to get envious. They're not going to get jealous. This is an incredible element of loyalty. And again, we go to Jonathan and his friend David, and we see that Jonathan was so uh, loyal to his friend David that he actually came into contention with his own father, King Saul. And Saul was the king, and Saul wanted his son Jonathan to be king, and so he was very angry that Jonathan was friends with this young general named David. And this is an interaction that they had. I want to warn you, this is one of the examples in the Bible where it's PG-13, Okay, so you might want to do earmuffs if you're sitting next to a child. Uh, This is what it says. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a whore, he swore at him. I I don't think this is good parenting, by the way. I just want to tell you, uh, way out of bounds, right? Not very respectful of Saul's wife either, apparently. So uh, Saul says, do you think I don't know that you want David to be king in your place? Shaming yourself and your mother. As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go get him so I can kill him. What's interesting is that Saul happens to be right because of Jonathan's friendship with David. Because of God's plan in all of this, Jonathan's never going to be king. He's not. And yet Jonathan is loyal to the very end to his friend David. Look at this verse. It says, Jonathan made a special vow to be David's friend, and he sealed the pact by giving him his robe, tunic, sword, bow, and belt. See, these two friends shared a very deep level of commitment and loyalty to one another. The next feeling is that friends of the heart trust one another deeply. They trust one another. You are free to share your hurts. You're free to share your secrets. You're free to share your dreams and your aspirations. Guys, this is where you talk about taking a bullet for one another. Ladies, I've just never heard you use that same language. You guys don't, you don't talk about bullets. You don't think that your friend's ever going to be shot. And you're right. So, you know, you just don't go there. Guys, we are, you know, we, we live in the whole superhero realm where we're thinking, yeah, somebody shoots you, I'm jumping in front, you know. Uh, okay. That sounds great. Uh, but friends, trust one another deeply. In fact, I have a quote for you. Uh, from Dinah Murlock. She says, Oh, the comfort of feeling safe with a person, neither having to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but pouring them all right out, just as they are, chaff and grain together, certain that a faithful hand will take and sift them, keep what is worth keeping, and with the breath of kindness, blow the rest away. Look at that quote for just a moment. And it's a very poetic quote, which simply says that you can say dumb things around your friends. Right? 
that you can be honest, that you can just let it all hang out, and a faithful friend won't crucify you for those silly things that you're saying or thinking. But they'll actually see through that. They'll, they'll hold on to what's good, and they'll just blow the rest away. And never forget that forgiveness is going to be a huge part of any relationship we ever have. In fact, I would argue that the friends that you have the longest are the friends that you've forgiven the most. And they've forgiven you as well. Okay? So we, the, the trust is built. And friends of the heart trust one another deeply. And the last fill-in here is that friends of the heart are a gift from God. They're a gift from God. It's just something special, some God-given gift that characterizes it. It's as divine lightning strikes. And again, if you've got a couple of friends at this level, it is such a gift from him. It's the very pinnacle of relationships. It's sweetness and the aroma of heaven. And, and I just want to tell you, I think it's true treasure. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, the typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. And it's then that friendship is born. You take a look in the Bible about how David and Jonathan's friendship began. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, it says, after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son, for the first time. There was an immediate bond of love between them, and they became the best of friends. Best of friends. It's a gift. And we should treasure our friendships as a gift. And, and I hope that all of this is uh, fodder for you to take and to use in your relationship, no matter where they are, that you would maximize them, that, that you would make the most of all of the friendships that God is providing opportunity for in your life. And I do want to say that Jesus is the best friend that there ever will be. I mean, he is the one who models it. He's the one who encourages us in our friendships. But he is the source of love. And that means no matter where you are, even if you point to Jesus or not, everyone who loves is participating in something that comes from God, the Bible says, because God is love. Even if you don't know it, even if you don't give him credit for it, God is the source of our relationships and our friendships And God wants to be in a relationship, a friendship with you. In fact, this is why we praise Jesus as we do, make such a big deal about him. In Romans 5, 11, it says, So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in making us friends of God. And only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus can wipe away our sin Only Jesus can cover us with his grace. We spent the last couple weeks talking about this. Only Jesus can make us friends with God. And so we celebrate that and we embrace our friendship with Jesus today. And I do want you to know that Jesus talks about the very highest quality of friendship. Once again, here's Jesus teaching us something and then modeling it for us perfectly. And so in the book of John, Jesus says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. And so Jesus, he taught that. And then a few hours later, he was laying down his life for his friends. He was laying down his life for you and for me so that we might become friends with God. I'm telling you, he's the greatest friend there ever is. The one who can meet all of our needs. The one that fuels all of other other friendships. And so I would encourage you to embrace his friendship today. 
Why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes and let's just pray to him now. And we do say, Jesus, thank you for being the source and the fuel and the model for all of our friendships. Thank you that you are the one who showed us what it looks like to be a great friend. And God, we ask that you would give us the wisdom now to maximize our friendships, no matter where they are. We want to celebrate them. We want to honor them. We want to offer them to you. And we want to say thank you for the blessing of our friendships. Show us how to make the most of them. And Lord Jesus, if there are any here who have never said yes to a friendship with God through you, my prayer is that right now, that in the quietness of their heart, they would simply say yes to you. Yes, Jesus, I I want that friendship. Yes, Jesus, I'd love to enter into a relationship that starts today and lasts forever. Yes, Jesus, thank you for showing us what a true friend is and then for laying down your life and proving it. We pray all of these things, Jesus, the source of all love and all friendship. We pray them in your name. Amen.